to another sci-fi episode where psychology and finances collide. We're going to continue to discuss how we think, feel, and behave with money. And today I have a very special guest from Box Army Health Clinic. It is Miss Heather Huff. And she has been sought after since a women's event last year and just very, very well poised, articulate, and a dietitian like no other that I've heard. A lot of things that she's incorporated to help people have a better relationship with food. And doesn't that sound familiar? Because I'm always trying to get my audience to have a better relationship with money. So Heather, we're talking today about meal planning. How would you like to kick that off? Well, I'd like to kick it off by saying that there are factors that are going to influence our choices. And I think that we need to acknowledge what those factors might be and that they might vary person to person. Sure. Lots of factors. I mean, one of the big factors is money, right? Exactly. Uh, There are folks and I have friends that I watch do all this meal planning and they rarely eat out. Mm. I don't know how they do it because my family system is a little different. Uh, We don't meal plan as much as we could. And I'm intentionally using that word could and not should because I want to make clear before we jump into this with the audience, this is not a judgment. We are not speaking negatively about people who choose to eat out more than prepare a meal at home or engage in meal planning. If if you have aligned your spend plan with eating out or ordering in and you have the ability to afford this and it's not negatively impacting your financial well-being. okay. and that's how I feel, Heather. You're going to get to know a lot about the Pierce household today, but I want to know I want to give you a a few statistics. I want to hear your thoughts on this. And I'm sure as a dietitian, and, and you are a medical provider, you are seeing patients who have specific dietary needs that need to be met. But I'm sure you hear this often because I hear this in practice all the time. I just don't feel like it. Right. Or they might say it in a different way, but we know what they're saying. So here's a statistic from U.S. Foods, and this was done in 2023. 74% of us just don't feel like cooking. So how do we meal plan if we don't feel like cooking? So I think the important thing would be to find the tools that are going to help you. Mm. Because if you do not have a love or a passion for the thing that you're doing, it is going to feel like a chore and it isn't going to feel good or comfortable in your body. Right. Even if you can say these are the benefits of cooking at home, it's going to feel like a stress. So we want to try to remove that. So if that's having a meal service that gets the groceries to your car and then you just need to prepare them at home. If that's having a service provide you with the ingredients and the recipe and that allows you to see how to put it together at home. It could also be knowing that you can get things from outside of your home and then you could add to it in a way that makes you feel that you are 
preparing the the entirety of the meal as it's going to be put together on your plate, but with pieces that have been removed from your stress level of maybe you can't cook. I think a really good example is how many of us like salmon, but we might not know how to cook it without mm-hmm. it becoming really dry or becoming a little less appetizing. And so we might utilize salmon cooked from somewhere and then we might add to it in a way that allows us to acknowledge I don't have the skill set to cook this salmon. I really like when you use the word tools. And this is something that I'm trying to get my clients to engage in more is, hey, know what your tools and your resources are. And a lot of times they're coming in and I imagine it's the same with you in session and they're not aware of all of these tools and resources that are available to them. And I don't want to call our clients or patients lazy, but a lot of times I think there is an aversion to learning new information. Okay. Do you see that? So I don't actually use the word lazy. I don't like that word. I don't either. Okay, good. Yeah. So I use the word barriers and what barriers are you experiencing related to a behavior that you would like to change? And then I'm sure you're familiar with stages of change. Absolutely. Trying to help people understand if they're even really ready. Motivational interviewing. Absolutely. That's right. And and just so you know what motivational interviewing is, is it's truly interviewing the client where they are in that stage of change. Are are they in the pre-contemplation phase where you're even thinking about, you're only thinking about, should I do this? Should I start meal planning? I had a, a pastor's wife recently who provided me a link to an app that will actually sync with your preferred grocery delivery provider. And I thought, mind blown. Mm. I have never seen a tool like this in my life. I introduced it to my 14-year-old who uh, wants to have more ability to to meal plan in the family. This would make it easier. So again, it goes back to those tools and resources, but a lot of times we don't know where to find them or just by happenstance, it falls in our lap and like, oh my goodness, where have you been all of my life? (laughs) So I want to provide another statistic. 51% just find it more convenient to eat out or to dine in after they've ordered food for their house. But there are also also psychological aspects of it too. So 44% will dine out to socialize. Now, again, this, this goes hand in hand. If it's in the budget or if it's in the spend plan, I hate the word budget. Um, if it's in the spend plan, you can account for it. It's not decreasing your financial well-being. All good. But I wonder how socialization can be in- increased in the home to make it more pleasurable to prepare a meal that is cheaper at home than by eating out. I guess there are lots of ways to do that. What would you what would you try? I would imagine inviting friends over, you know, having a potluck, you know, people bring this item, you bring this item. I think we've forgotten how to have backyard barbecues. Mm. But I like what you said. And I think what you said was so important because you said we could invite people over and possibly people's mind went straight to, well, that's more money than I would have spent on my family. And then you said Mm. the word potluck Mm -hmm. where you're implying that people would have responsibility for different dishes and thus taking the cost back down. So I think it's important to think about what do you think of when you say having people over? Exactly. And everyone will have their hand in the pot, so to speak. So everyone uh, is contributing something. So, and then there's another statistic by U.S. Foods that say that 49% prefer not 
to cook. Now, I would imagine a lot of your clients or patients are saying, I don't I don't know how to cook. I get fearful when I look at a piece of salmon or I look at a piece of fish or chicken or steak and I'm thinking I'm going to burn the house down. What kind of responses do you do you give to those folks to motivate them to think differently about meal planning? Well, one thing that I always try to work in is all of the food groups and to think about how to create meals that contain more food groups. Hmm. I think that when we see the food groups and we can add as many as we can, it kind of boosts our confidence in just our own ability to put something together. So I always start with what are the food groups and how can we add all of them? So that's kind of where I begin. Yeah. And you use the word confidence. Mm -hmm. And I think my confidence is boosted when I'm in the grocery store. I mean, I'm rarely physically there anymore because I do the delivery option now because it actually does save me more money to have my groceries delivered rather than waste gas going there, waiting the 20 minutes for them to load my car and then come back home or time is money, right? Working full time, husband works full time, the kids have their activities. So going to the grocery store and by the time you get there and get back home and the time at the grocery store, would it have been a better cost to give a $10 tip to somebody to deliver the groceries? In my mind, that's what works. And so when I'm in the grocery store though, and I see that vegetables can be steamed in the microwave, that speaks my language. It's like, okay, as long as I have a meat and this color vegetable this day, and that only has to go in the microwave, really you're only having to be accountable for one item Mm -hmm. that you're cooking, which makes it a little easier. I know for me, by the end of the day, I'm asking what color do I need to put in my body by the end of the day to make sure that I have been healthy (laughs) today? Usually it's green or orange, you know, carrots or cruciferous vegetables, those types of things. But here's another statistic from U.S. Foods that I think you'll get a kick out of. So the average person dines out three times per month. That's just dining out. But the same average person also orders delivery for 0.5 times per month. So that's nine times per month that the average family is paying somebody to prepare their meals. And I think one of the bigger things, and I don't like the word lazy either, a lot of it is just time oriented. It's, it's hard to make the time. There have to be ways to cut time in half to prepare these things. Because another funny statistic from Consumer Reports said 54% of Americans are willing to wait 30 minutes or more for their takeout order, but we're not willing to spend 30 minutes or more preparing Mm -hmm. a meal. There's a psychological disconnect there. Or they're vacuuming. (laughs) I could use that 30 minutes. I can get the whole house vacuumed. Someone will bring me the magic of dinner and... I will also have vacuumed. I don't right. know at that. Just like there are opportunity costs in the right. financial war right. world, there are chore costs Correct. in the home life world. Like, yeah, if I spend the 30 minutes to right. cook dinner, then the vacuuming isn't going to get done. Right. The, the, the dishwasher's not even been unloaded. Right. Do I really want to cause myself more work Correct. and have to empty the dishwasher, load the dishwasher just so that we can have a home cooked meal? So it's, it's hard to, for us as Americans to wrap our minds around doing something that's going to cause more work. 
And that's the same in finances. How, how Olivia, do you expect me to complete this spend plan before our appointment? And I've never created one in my life before. Well, if you want the appointment, I'll have to have the data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that tends to light a fire. If you want to eat, you're going to have to do something. And, and here's what Consumer Reports said, uh, how much we spend per year on eating out. Now, I purposefully found an old report from Consumer Reports from 2016 because I did not want anything from pandemic era to now because a lot of folks are justifying the continued eating out because that's what that's the habit we've created now. We had to do that during the pandemic and had to is uh, loosely used. We never have to do anything. It's really a choice. We chose to do that more often and a lot of times more for the social aspect, but also for the the bacterial or germ aspect. You know, if I have someone delivering the food, I don't have to go out. I'm I'm at less risk of infection, those types of things. However, Consumer Reports said in 2016, here's how much we spent in restaurants just in 2016, $720 at restaurants, just at restaurants. And that breaks down to 1.97 billion per day. A lot of folks don't take the time to break down the math and to really understand the reality of it all. And so what this equated to in 2016 was people were spending roughly $2,222 per year for every man, woman, and child in the U.S. The current stat per year is 3000 And in my mind, that seems a little low, but this was accounting, this was accounting for eating out at restaurants, not always ordering in. So now I'm, I asked Heather to join this podcast because I have a little selfish ambition here as well, because I'm clearly wanting to increase my meal planning while decreasing the amount of money we're spending every month on eating out or ordering in. So Heather, my question is, At what age should parents start getting their children to help prepare meals? So I think that at any age that your kids can use their hands is when you could get them incorporated. Oh. Um, But you would just have to understand that different ages of children are going to have a different set of skills. Sure. So you you can't give a butcher knife to a a two-year-old. Correct. Right. So you want to get your kids involved as soon as possible when they're using their hands and they can follow commands. Um, But then you're going to stage it towards what is appropriate for their ability level. Mm -hmm. Um, So you always want to get them involved. I think that's a good idea. And if you're looking for good resources on how to do that, I definitely recommend parents often go to the Ellen Satter Institute. She talks about how to feed children and she talks about the ages and stages of food responsibility and so how they can get involved. What is developmentally appropriate. Exactly. Right. Exactly. exactly. So what what would be some resources or tools where you would steer a mom or dad who have children, teenagers, who who have a desire to do more of the meal planning? What would you suggest for those families? So the first thing that I always suggest, whether or not you're meal planning for yourself or for your family or for more than one person, is to break the, the division of what needs to get done into different tasks. So it is 
I think you've mentioned a lot about time and how time is certainly a cost that we have to endure. And so I think that a lot of times when you talk about planning or preparing meals, people have envisioned that they are going to create this grocery list. They're going to shop for all of the groceries. They're going to come home and they're going to prepare them all. They're going to put them in tiny containers. They probably have switched to glass because they felt like they weren't allowed <laughs> to use the plastic ones anymore. So and true. And they're going to fill their, their refrigerator and they're just going to eat out of these little containers for you know, five to seven days, depending on how long they've prepared right, for. Right. So the first thing that we do is we break it into tasks. Right. Grocery shopping doesn't have to be done at the same time that the list is being made. The list might need me to have the headspace to plan the meals that are going to be created so that on that list are the things that are needed mm -hmm. to make the meals. That can be done at a different time. Preparing things ahead of time can look different for different people and different families. So you guys can maximize the time and how to get people involved mm -hmm. because you come back to that idea of I have 30 minutes and I need to get dinner on the table and I have a child that is excited to get in the kitchen. But now as the parent, I might be thinking about how much extra time that's going to cost me in helping assist them in learning the skills that they're hoping to learn or just being part of that process. This is good, Heather, because what you've just done is you've offered a division of tasks. And I know psychologically folks are, their interest is now peaked. And here's what I've written down. Number one, there's the list creation phase. What meals are we wanting to have this week and who creates the list? So one person could be the tasker or, per, or, or complete that task. The next one is doing the actual grocery shopping. Maybe you have a 10 year old who's not gonna be doing the meal prep who's not gonna be in the kitchen at all, but loves being online <laughs> and likes to uh, organize and, and create the actual shopping cart. Uh, of course, I think as a parent, you probably need to go in there and triple check that shopping cart before you hit accept. <laughs> right, because if they forget to order the double stuffed Oreos, I would be very unhappy. Oh my goodness, so yes, that's I funny. Would that, I would need to make sure. <laughs> and make sure, and make sure no toys uh, made their way in there because certain big box, you know, there are a lot of things that you can put in that cart. And then there's the sous chef, the person who's going to be chopping the vegetables, the person who's going to be getting all the spices measured and, and those types of things. And I, I'll tell you what, when my kids watch certain food channel excerpts with me and we're watching how someone does prepare salmon or how someone does prepare uh, a steak, they have everything magically already there at their fingertips. So it makes it look fun. It makes it look exciting. But my husband and I always have a conversation. Nobody gets to see the stress involved with the actual planning of the meal and all the grocery shopping, finding that Gouda cheese, you know, that no one else could find that the recipe called for. But magically on the food channel, it's right there for the cook. So the actual cooking itself then is another task. And perhaps an older child, if not the adult or parent in the home could do that portion of the cooking. But I will say, um, not just as a licensed professional counselor, but also as an accredited financial counselor, I think it's important that we develop our kids in those life skills that they're going to need 
away from the home. I had a friend one time tell me that her child went to college and she was the only one that knew how to boil eggs and the only one that knew how to do her laundry. And I thought that is so sad. I will work tirelessly as a parent to ensure that my child is not that child who doesn't know how to do simple life tasks. So this can also be then a it, it can this division of task and meal planning can also be preparing your children for life and all those life skills. And then you have the actual cleanup. Mm, yeah. Now. Some people might be balking at this. I don't want to be the one to clean up. But if you told me, Heather, that someone in my house was doing one, two, three, four things ahead of me and all I had to do was clean up, sign me up. To me, the cleaning up is the less stressful of all of these things. So I'm wondering, Heather, what other kind of barriers, because, you know, we mentioned barriers. What other barriers are keeping us from engaging in meal planning and enjoying our families at home? I think one barrier that we might want to talk about is convenience. Mm. So understanding that not all foods that are convenient for you are quote unquote bad for you. In fact, I don't even like the word bad when it comes to food. I try really hard not even to use the word healthy and unhealthy because Mm. I think that there's just a lot of stigma around those types of thought patterns. Mm. Um, We do not all have the same access and the same food choices available. And so we need to figure out what is available to us and how to leverage convenience to make our situation ideal for us not necessarily everyone else. So you had mentioned earlier having frozen vegetables or being able to quickly steam a vegetable versus having to chop and make something from fresh. And that is a convenient, wonderful way to think about the addition of vegetables. But when we demonize and moralize food choices, we start to make people have feelings about those convenient things that Mm -hmm. would have helped them get something on the table with ease, that would have helped them bring their family together in a way that they have a goal to do, would have helped manage the cost of those foods. And and we've taken that away from them. So we need to we need to allow people to find convenient things that help. I just want to come over there and give you a hug and say thank you for saying that out loud. And listen, she is a dietitian. This is a professional who is saying this, a professional who's worked with plenty of people where she understands human nature and the human condition. If we have someone demonizing something, we're less likely to engage in any kind of healthy behavior. Um, So yeah, convenience can be a good thing for us. So let's not beat ourselves up when we are getting our vegetables out of the freezer uh, at at, uh, whatever big box store. Thank you. Exactly. I grew up on canned and, you know, I had someone tell me, well, you know, that's probably too much metal in your body. And I'm thinking, ah, but I got the vegetables in my body and that's what I needed. So I'm so glad that you're saying this. And this is coming from someone who is also well averse with what kind of relationship we need to have with food. She's not defining it for the person. That person is defining it for themselves. And it's the same thing. She's talking about realistic eating. And I talk about realistic budgeting. I don't want someone out there saying, well, I'm not going to create a spend plan 
or a budget. They're synonymous. I just wanted to make sure people knew what I was talking about when I said spend plan. I don't want to create the spend plan because it's not going to look good. It's not going to be everything. But no, I want you to do that. I want you to create it, but I want you to make something that's realistic for you. And that's why I started off with a comment. No one is going to try to talk you out of eating out. Right. If As long as it fits the spend plan, then it's okay. But you also use the word leverage. If you're spending $600 a month on groceries, but you're rarely touching those groceries because you're eating out most of the time. Why are you still spending $600 a month on groceries? Let's go ahead and cut it. And then is now the dietitian here is smiling at me because I can almost see in her brain, let's at least try to make it healthy eating. But at the same time, let's try to, and she, she, she did say she doesn't even like to use the words healthier and unhealthy. We need sustenance. We need right. nutrition. We need a healthy relationship with that. And we get to define individually what that healthy relationship looks like. Anything else before we close this session today? So I came prepared for you, Olivia, because you told me that you like quotes. Yes. So I'm going to share with you a quote that rocked me to my core in a bad way. Okay. okay? So I'm also a, a podcast addict. I like to listen to a lot of podcasts. There's a fantastic podcast called Making It Awkward with Jessica Wilson. She's a dietitian. So, you know, you mentioned I'm different. I'm not that different. You just have to find the rest of us. They're out there. Okay. <laughs> um, so she was interviewing Dr. Robert Ludwig, who is notoriously out there talking about how terrible ultra processed foods are for mm. you. And she was trying to discuss accessibility and how not everyone has the same access and availability of certain things. And in her interview, she asked him, you know, I have some clients that are homeless that don't have availability. Mm -hmm. And and so are you telling me that I should tell them to choose no food over unprocessed over ultra processed food? Mm. And his exact quote was, yes, that is exactly what I'm telling you. No. Um, so I'm incredibly grateful for conversations like these yes. where we can take the stigma out of what you said earlier, which is figuring out how to find a way that works for you in your budget, in your cost, in your time. That's I have for you. So audience, I'm with Heather on this. Let's eat. Let's be happy. Awesome. And let's yes. enjoy our decisions. If you don't enjoy your decisions, then there's your signal to seek something different. I can't wait to see you next time. 